Blog Talk Radio. everyone and welcome to the 562nd edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective, our clubs, leagues, players, national team and other fabulous moments to get your daily reading from me and other writers over at Red Bull News Network. But as always, this show is about the game in uh, in this country. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my ability. And so as we get ready very soon for the World Cup to arrive here, uh, we all know when the roster will be announced, which will be in early November. Should be, I believe, the fourth once again. Well, double check just to make sure I'm correct, but I believe it will be the 4th of November for the official roster for the 26-man roster for the FIFA World Cup. And while we await the decision of U.S. Men's National Team Head Coach Greg Berhalter, once again, the situation that continues to be discussed and plagued is, of course, once again, we're talking about should be on this roster and where they come from. And I'm not talking about where they were born, where they play their club football their club soccer. And, you know, once again, the arguments are being made on social media is tedious. It is time consuming. It is just downright boring and disgusting and awful. And I'll tell you why I feel like this. Because it should not matter where the players are coming from as long as they're getting their minutes. We should be happy, especially in Europe. We should be happy that Americans are getting their due and getting their time, and they are performing in some of the biggest clubs in the world and some of the best leagues in the world. We all know that the best leagues are definitely England, Germany, Spain, Italy. Some of our players playing abroad are not playing in those countries, in those leagues, or in the top leagues of those countries. That is no reason to ignore or say we can't bring that American over because he's playing in an inferior league. How do you know this? Why? Are you saying this? Because they're not playing for Arsenal? Because they're not playing for Leeds or Liverpool or Man United? 
or Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, Barcelona, Madrid, Real Madrid, Juventus, AC Milan, Inter Milan. They're not even playing for Rangers or Celtic. This is not how this thing goes. This is not how this thing goes. And that is why I am defending Josh Cohen playing for Maccabee Haifa in the Israeli Premier League First Division. Now, let me just say this right off the bat. I know he's not going to make the roster. I know he's not going to make the roster. He's not going to do it at all. Because Greg Berhalter did not call him in. Greg Berhalter did not even bother to look to Israel to see what Josh Cohen is doing. He did not even bother to take a look at Josh Cohen and what he is doing over there. And I'm not concerned about it's an inferior league. No, that's not the point. The point is that he's an American. He is allowed to play in Israel. Israel is a part of UEFA, even though they are should be in the Asian Football Confederation. But due to the issues with certain political problems, they are in UEFA. Josh Cohen deserves an opportunity. And while Matt Turner is getting great moments with Matt, with uh, Arsenal in the Europa League and accounts, Josh Cohen is getting minutes not only in UEFA Champions League qualifiers, but being in the same group with Benfica, Paris Saint-Germain, and Juventus. And what did Josh Cohen do against Juventus? A clean sheet with a 2-0 victory. And even though Maccabee Haifa did have a 1-1 scoreline going into halftime at home against PSG, and eventually PSG was too strong for Maccabee Haifa you know, into a three-point win at home. Let's be fair and let's be honest. Josh Cohen has received more minutes, higher level minutes, than both Ethan Horvath and and, uh, Zach Steffen altogether. You can say right now Josh Cohen and Matt Turner have had the equal amount of minutes playing in European international club competition. But, unfortunately, it's going to be Zach Steffen who will probably get the start because that's Greg Berhalter's guy. And I'm not saying I don't want Zach Steffen on the national team because he's Greg Berhalter's guy. I want him on the national team if he is not only starting, which he is now starting, but at the same time, he looked out of form. He's probably done a little bit better in recent matches. But does that enough for him to be the starting goalkeeper for this U.S. men's national team? And in my opinion, I don't think he deserves the spot. 
but he will be picked regardless. You have a guy in Josh Cohen who has had more time, more time. He will not even be on the roster. And I know many of you are begging for Gabriel Slonina, Gaga Slonina, to be on this World Cup roster. He's not going on there either. He just finished one year at Chicago Fire. One year. He's going to Chelsea. I wouldn't be surprised if he stays in Chicago to be on loan until they call him in, if they ever do call him in, because I have no idea if they will ever call him in to play goalkeeper. But I'm here to tell you this right now. Beggars cannot be choosers. You cannot rate, and I don't care what the rating metric system is on the best leagues in the world, rankings and all that. To me, that doesn't mean a damn thing. It's the eye test, the eyeball test. Yes. I know what the best leagues in the world are. It's really simple. The Premier League in England, Serie A in Italy, Bundesliga in Germany, La Liga in Spain. That's the four best leagues. And I understand you've got to be the play in the best leagues, period, or play in the best countries, period. But you cannot look a gift horse in the mouth when it comes to the ultimate tournament, the ultimate global party that we are all going to go into when the week of Thanksgiving comes around in November. You want to make sure our players are the right ones to be selected. We know who they are. As long as they get their minutes, playing abroad, playing domestically, I don't care where they play, as long as they are the ones that are chosen to play. And even I can say who should go and who should not go. Who is healthy to go? Healthy. Because if we're going to bring over players that are either A, barely playing any minutes, B, injured, but we bring them in there anyway, and they get selected, to play and they screw up well that's not on me that's not on me I didn't select them I didn't demand for them to be playing you're trying to be practical and you're trying to be observant who is available and who is ready to go but no no it's on not just Greg Berhalter it is on those American soccer fans who are yelling and screaming, crying and whining, I don't want this guy from MLS and I don't want that guy from MLS. Because if they go free and out, the only people that I'm going to be looking at is the head coach and Greg Berhalter and all of you American soccer fans that are yelling blasphemy because a player from Major League Soccer is on the men's national team roster for the World Cup. It's on your heads, not mine. 
It's on yours, and it's on Greg Berhalter's. And this is why, this is why I have continued to say this, and this is why I've continued to mention this. Because what I have seen through social media, and unfortunately, the damning of social media that has turned a normal person into a brainless buffoon, this is why I continue to say that the fandom has failed. The fandom has failed. Because of simple little BS arguments that we should not be having. I'm not saying that Aaron Long should be on the men's national team roster just to be just to say it in spite of all of you. Did Aaron Long look good against Japan? No, he didn't. Is that his game to build from the back? No, it's not. Because Red Bulls play oppressed. He doesn't play build from the back. And once again, Greg Berhalter is at fault for forcing a system on our national team players that probably half of them can't play. And look what, you, look what the Japanese did in the friendly. The Japanese played the U.S. perfectly and outpressed our boys. Regardless of what Zimmerman and Aaron Long did, Japan beat Greg Berhalter's system. And that's what will happen when the Welsh and the English and the Iranians will do to us unless Greg Berhalter fixes it and finds a way to get the full three points against all those nations. If not, it's three and out. We're going home early, and you can blame whoever you want, but the number one blame will be on Greg Berhalter, and then the number two blame will be the anti-MLS crowd, and you can go ahead and raise your arm and say, yep, my bad. Because that is not what we are supposed to be doing here. This, my friends, is a failure. And it cannot happen, period. We need to have our players play perfect football to be successful. And play it the old-fashioned way. That's all I can say. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's time uh, to review the uh, MLS Cup playoffs in the conference semifinals as we look to these matches that were played over this past Thursday and Sunday. Joining me right now from the brotherly game of SB Nation, this is Mr. Greg Oldfeld as he covers the Philadelphia Union on their 1-0 victory over FC Cincinnati. Greg, good evening and welcome to the show, sir. Good evening. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for taking the invitation. Greg, i got to say once again, um, Jim Curtin, uh, he has done it again. He, he has looked pretty good. Uh, obviously, I can understand a little bit of rust. Have not Union have not played uh, meaningful soccer for the last two weeks or so due to them winning the Eastern Conference regular season and taking the first position and having the bye in the opening round. But I got to say, though, Jim Curtin does it again. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was um, definitely a Jim Curtin-like performance. He always talks about how much he loves those 1-0 wins, and you definitely saw that out of that team on uh, on Sunday. Or, sorry, mm-hmm. No, you definitely yeah. did. Nope, that's okay. Look, look, they played. That's all that matters. I, I'll, you'll yeah. be forgiven this once. You're the rookie here. But anyway, uh, <laughs> um, but I have to say, um, Andre Blake, you know, look, ever since Andre Blake came into the league and once he was permanently established as the number one goalkeeper for the Philadelphia Union, I have raved and uh, loved his positioning. Um, I've enjoyed his goalkeeping uh, for Philadelphia, obviously, he is Jamaica's number one goalkeeper internationally. What he has done in goal has just been nothing short but m- miraculous. I mean, to have a goalkeeper like that has been really amazing. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think Andre Blake has been one of the top players in the league, not goalies, but players over the past four or five years. Uh, you saw again why he's so valuable to this team. He makes he makes the tough saves routine. He makes it look easy. And you're right. It's about his positioning. It's about his instincts. Um, he sees the ball just so well. Um, you know, I was just looking at that last save he made against uh, Vasquez in the 80th minute again. I mean, that was such a difficult save to make. And again, he makes it look easy. And that's that's a, a typical Andre Blake performance. We're lucky enough to be able to see that night in and night out. But Luckily, now hopefully the rest of the country has been able to see what an MVP performance looks like from him. No, absolutely. And I will continue to say it until he's no longer in the league, uh, which will probably be a long, long time before that ever happens. But still, though, Andre Blake, in my mind, is definitely uh, the best goalkeeper in Major League Soccer as we speak. And he's, you know, basically he's just in front. Whatever's in front of him has been pretty good, too. Um, Flash gets the opening goal. Early in the second half, around the fifth, almost uh, at the hour mark, and uh, that's the only goal you really needed. Um, what is it about that Flash has done, who has really been such a big cog in this group that we all know Gazdag, Bedoya, you know Burke, uh, everyone that's attrib- you know contributed to the union. What makes Flash really stand out? Well, I think it's important to note that he is probably one of the defensive players in this team of defensive players. He's been ranked near the top of pressures and tackles consistently for the past two years. His, um, you know, when you think about Philadelphia Union midfield, just outworking other teams, outpressing other teams, he's, he's the guy. Um, he's been doing it uh, ever since he arrived. He also hasn't scored a goal in 45 games. So that was the more unpredictable moment of the game. Um, he's had 12 shots this season. Four of them have been on target. So for him to be able to bang home a goal that he did, which was a very difficult shot, and just bury it at the time that he did it, was it, it was incredible. Um, so happy to happy to Leon. Uh, he has been. Uh, he's just a great kid. He's a hard worker. And he's always one he recognizes, too, that his offensive game needs work. But he is such an intelligent player, such a hard worker, and really an engine for that union midfield. And he has been for quite some time. Yeah, he really has been. He's just been unbelievable. What was the – what did you think that could have been an issue uh, from Cincinnati? Now, obviously, we all know 
that uh, Brian Vasquez has been a very dangerous striker this season. He's come out of nowhere. But, you know, you got to admit, um, Barrial uh, on the back line has been tough. Uh, Luciano Acosta, of course, we all remember him back when he was playing with D.C. United, has been uh, one of those cogs in the midfield and in the attack. What was Jim Curtin, why was he able to find a way to keep them contained so well? Well, you're right. The last time they played in Cincinnati, they let Acosta run free. Uh, and Acosta was kind of a game changer there. Once Acosta gets free, he started to set up a lot of it, a lot of things going forward for their front three. Um, I, I think the union really did a great job zeroing in on him first. And, and Jim Curtin credited Jose Martinez on that one because that's, that's kind of what Jose Martinez does. He, he has that knack of shutting down some of those elite ends. And he did a great job on Acosta, but it's obviously, you know, defending by committee as well, because as Acosta drifts, other players need to be able to pick him up. And, and, and I think the union were able to do that. Um, but I think overall the union, you know, they played their game. They established their game. They established their press. They didn't give up too much in the back. And that's been their game all year long, no matter who they're playing. Cincinnati is one of the best attacking trios in the league. So naturally they were going to get their looks and they did, but you know, the cha- the chances that they had were, were easier shots for, for Blake to stop. But then there's, there's a couple at the end where Blake just came up with phenomenal saves. I think that's, that's kind of been the union playbook all year long. And I think you saw a pretty union, pretty much a union performance in that, in that game. Mm-hmm. No, that's absolutely correct there. Um, Obviously, you know, you have former union players and coaching members and, of course, front office people uh, on Cincinnati. It must have been felt a little weird uh, going against Pat Noonan as the opposite head coach now for Cincinnati. Chris Albright is their sporting director now at Cincinnati. Uh, A couple of former union players now being with Cincinnati. It had to feel a little weird to go against those guys. I mean, obviously things changed as you know, whatever happens in the future and stuff, but, you know, important cogs at the time for the union back in the good old days, you might say. Yeah. And I I was on with some of the guys from Cincinnati last week before the game. And I was on with them a year ago, right before they hired Pat Noonan. And, you know, there was a lot of reservations about the Newton Albright connection, but one thing that we've noticed, you know, obviously is they, they have the consistency, they have a plan And, you know, whether people believe in the Philadelphia Union or not, they've definitely had a plan. They've had a vision. And, you know, when you see that transpire at another club, it, um, you know, it it makes us feel good, you know, that our our club is kind of in the right, been doing the right things and heading in the right direction. And you start to see that that now in another club, which is pretty cool. So it's definitely, it's definitely weird when you see, you know, Pat Noonan out there. It's weird when you see Ray Gaddis out there because Ray Gaddis is, is pretty much a club legend. He's probably going to be up on the uh, the Ring of Honor someday. So yes, it's tough to tough to see those guys wearing a different color jersey. But um, I think the Philly fans are you know they'll they'll, they'll definitely boo Ray Gaddis and they and they and they booed Pat Noonan and they'll they boo Chris Albright. And then when the game's over, you know we can uh, we can shake hands and be friends again. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see what happens there. Um... Now, I have to ask you this question, obviously, because the union are going to host New York City FC. And, I mean, look, we know there were some big-time players missing 
uh, from New York City FC in last year's Eastern Conference final uh, due to injury and red card uh, situation. But then again, of course, the union lost players due to the coronavirus situation with the pandemic and had to use a bunch of backups, uh, reservists that uh, normally would not be starting in goal or be in the starting 11. Um, What is the feeling going around union supporters as well as the players and the coaching staff from last year's Eastern Conference final? Do you feel they're really chomping at the bit that they want exact some form of revenge for the loss last year at Subaru Park, which you're going to host it again this year? Uh, Absolutely. I think everyone in the Philadelphia area has been waiting for this game since last year. Uh, You kind of get a sense when when they played New York twice this year, the union, they came out with an extra edge. They, you know, they outplayed New York both times when they played this year. And I think you're going to see that edge, it's still there. They cannot wait for this game. The fans cannot wait for this game. Just the way that everything went down at the end of last year was just, it was a terrible way to end your season. Um, I, I would admit, I thought New York was probably the better team last year. So, I mean, I was really looking forward to two full squads going against each other. But this year, I have no doubt that the Union are the better team. So I think everyone wants to see a full squad New York against now, full squad Union, and see what happens. But, um, yeah, this this game is going to be so intense. It's going to be unlike any final we've ever seen here in Subaru Park. Now, I have to throw this at you because, obviously, we know what's going on in Philadelphia and the sports world. Phillies are in the World Series. Uh, the Flyers are off to a good start with head coach John Tortorella. The Philadelphia Eagles are undefeated. And the Union are going to the Eastern Conference Finals. We don't know what the Sixers will be, but, you know, we'll we'll wait for that to happen towards the end of the uh, basketball year. But what is going on in Philadelphia? And has the water been affected? I think it is. You know, Andre Blake rang the bell tonight at the Sixers game, which is a pretty cool, uh, a pretty cool accomplishment. I think we continuously have to remind the people around the city that the union exists, that the union are for real. I think the 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 atmosphere surrounding the five for five, which we like to call it, has been a lot better this year, and I think that's the result of the union being such a, a strong team over the past couple of years. You know. Uh, the first year, maybe people weren't really as, as you know, 2020, they weren't as um, tuned in with the union. But certainly after last year and certainly with this year, you know, they're hearing the union more and more throughout the stadium. And I think people are, you know, the, the regular casual fans are starting to take notice, which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And we'll see what happens. Uh, Eastern Conference final on Sunday. It should be a fun one. And hopefully uh, we'll see what the union can do against New York City FC. Greg, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. You have a good night, sir, and I will talk to you again hopefully next time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank thank you. I appreciate it even more. Greg Oldfeld, brotherly game of SB Nation, covering the Philadelphia Union as the Union advances the Eastern Conference Final to host New York City FC as they are going to get ready to battle for another big one moving forward. Once again, he could not come on live tonight with me. He had to record the interview. And so here he is right now. This is, of course, from Blue City Radio, Michael Anderer as New York City FC on the road in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. NYCFC defeating Club de Foot Montreal by a final of three goals to one. 
And here is that recording right now. Welcome back to the American Soccer Show. This is Daniel Feuerstein as we're reviewing the conference semifinals of the 2022 MLS Cup playoffs once again. Joining me from Blue City Radio, it is Michael Ander as New York City FC defeat Montreal three goals to one at Stad Saputo. And Michael, um, you know, I don't want to say I was doubting Cushing, but, you know, I thought Montreal would be a tougher challenge for New York City FC, but not so up in Montreal. Well, I, I think Montreal was a tougher challenge. I think it's one of those situations where uh, I hate to, you know, make, oversimplify it, but the ball fell uh, New York's way. I think uh, New York got got lucky with the early goal, and again, it took a lot of it took a lot of effort. But they uh, they had guys in the right spot. Uh, it was a great it was a great cross, and Abair did the job of occupying the center back, and then left this this slot open for Maxim Morales to just to tap it in. And I think that changed the tone. You know, look, we know we know the uh, the adages: goals change games, and that's what happened. It, it changed the way Montreal wanted to play, and uh, even with uh, Ma- Maxime Chano from NYCFC going down with the injury early. Uh, being the fact that NYCFC had that lead, uh, it allowed them to be very conservative. And that goal in, uh, in stoppage time in the first half was a um, was really the icing on the cake. But it was again one of those things where uh, you know nine times out of ten that cross probably gets cut off by one of these center backs. And it's that one time where uh, that bare times is run perfectly, splits the two center backs and taps it in. Uh, that's what that's what NYCFC needs with uh, Talish Magnum not being 100% fit. Yeah, very true. But I will also say this, you know, that second goal by Hebert, you know, to me, you know, you lose Castellanos in the transfer window. And I know that Hebert was supposed to be an addition to with Castellanos and Morales, but now it looks like Hebert has become uh, the replacement for Castellanos uh, here in the playoffs and possibly moving forward for next year. You know, next year will be interesting to see. It's because uh, it, again, I, I think there has struggled. Uh, Talish Magno got the opportunity to play that role because uh, basically Eber was uh, was not getting it done, and for a period of time, neither one of them was really a standout uh, uh, front runner for that spot. But Talish developed and, and improved his game, and I think that helped Eber realize that uh, the, he's got to make the most of the opportunities he's got. Here he is; he's got a uh, you know three goals in three games. Uh, it's looking good. But much like uh, Decision Day was costly for NYCFC with uh, three injuries on Decision Day, uh, NYCFC is looking, um, you know, looking to hope that they can get some guys healthy, but uh, probably unlikely that we'll see Maxime Chano, uh on on Sunday. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Of course, Magno gets the uh, penalty uh, to make it 3-0. And of course, Montreal gets one late by Jordi Mahalovic, but it didn't really matter. Anyway, Montreal is already dead and buried after the hour mark, and... Uh, you're going back to the Eastern Conference Final. And, you know, just to finish up on this match against Montreal, as you said, you know, look, right place at the right time. But, you know, what does that say about Nick Cushing taking over, uh, you know, running this club and making it his own now? Because, you know, there were question marks when he took over during, you know, that losing streak that maybe he wasn't the right fit and somehow just got it turned around at the la- at the right time at the last minute and look what they are now. You know, I think uh a lot of the players will give Christian credit. Uh they they talked about um 
having faith in his in, in his choices and his identity, but it was a matter of just letting it letting it develop and letting it grow. And uh, look, the success has come on beat going three at the back, and we've seen a dedication to three at the back, even despite not having the best personnel on the field. We saw that versus Atlanta when uh, Alfredo Morales came on, who's typically a defensive midfielder, and he played center back. And then um, when Maxime Cheneau got hurt, uh, NYCFC moved to four in the back for the rest of the first half, so it was about a half hour's worth of playing time. But then at halftime, they made the adjustment, and they brought Justin Hack, the homegrown player, in to play center back in, in place of Maxime Cheneau, and they returned to a three-man back line, which is interesting because you have two very uh, qualified center backs in Alexander Callens and Tiago Martins, but uh, Cushing... You know, rolled the dice and said he'd rather put the, you know, the the homegrown, uh, the 20-year-old in um in the center back position, and that is really what what I think is giving people that sense that really Cushing has a has a vision for this team and he's willing to uh, live or die by it. And I think that's what you want. You want commitment by the coach to his principles because that's what's going to ultimately help you win the uh, win the trophy. No, absolutely. And I mean, right now it looks like the players, as you said, they've trusted him. Maybe Cushing's starting to trust himself a little bit more out there with his uh, tactics. And, you know, at the moment, it's coming to fruition uh, uh, for these last two playoff matches uh, for New York City FC. And maybe it looks like he will be leading the charge into next year. We'll see what happens in the next game. We'll get to that in a moment. But, you know, just to stick with Nick Cushing, I just think that there's belief there, not just from within, which I think the players you can agree with do have that belief in Nick Cushing, but... Honestly, maybe everyone else outside of the locker room has that belief in Nick Cushing as well. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't doubt that uh, that the players believe in him. And I, I will tell you that the fans in the MD have have gotten behind him too. I think there was there was a game that NYCFC played against uh, FC Cincinnati, and it was. Uh, it was the middle of August. NYCFC was in the middle of this uh, this horrible losing streak, and FC Cincinnati came to town. And this is a team again. Cincinnati had been surprising a lot of people, but it still wasn't great. And uh, Cushing snapped at one of the reporters in the uh, you know in the post game press conference and was defending his tactics um, almost in a in a fiery sense, questioning you know having you know uh, basically barking back at the reporter saying, why are you judging my tactics as much as you have been? And uh, look, I don't think that's happened since. I think mm-hmm. Cushing realized he probably uh, overstepped his bounds. Uh, NYCFC never released the, uh, the audio or the video of that, that exchange, even though they, they record all the press conferences. They scrubbed that from their, uh, from their transcripts. And uh, I think the results have shown that the media has calmed down. The media has trusted Cushing a little bit. And Cushing's trusted himself a little bit, and he's, uh, you know, he's he's a, a he's been a lot more jovial in his uh, in his approach to the media in recent games. Yeah, I agree with you there, and uh, right there and then, it looks like that he's getting things done. And now we move forward to the Eastern Conference Final. It's back at Subaru Park against the Philadelphia Union. Now, I mean, it has to be said here, uh, Michael, that Philadelphia Union, the club of Union supporters. And even everyone else in MLS said, you know, the coronavirus during the pandemic that uh, struck the locker room in last year's Eastern Conference final really took out, you know, what was supposed to be an epic battle. And even though I would say some of their backups did well, and yes, 
New York City FC did put the ball in their own net to give Philadelphia the opening goal, and they did come back to beat them 2-1. You know, Philadelphia Union will still say, though, that should never have happened. We should have had a, uh, the match should have been suspended and pushed back. But the league said, no, you got to keep going. So what do you think we're going to see from both Philly and NYCFC? Uh, I think the first thing that needs to be said about last year is let's not forget last year uh, NYCFC went into the game in Philadelphia. They were missing Tati Castellanos because he was on a red card uh, suspension for the game in, uh, after uh, defeating New England. And they were also without Keaton Parks and Anton Tenerholm who had, had, you know, had gone down in midseason uh, with injury. So you take um, those three players off the field, and I think it balances out. Yes, NYCSP had more time to work on their game plan because Tanner Home Parks had been gone for so long, but it's not like Philly was going up a team from NYCFC that wasn't dealing with their own issues. Um, so I think that's the first thing. Yes, I think it's going to be great to see this matchup again. I think both um, teams are chomping at the bit for this opportunity. And, look, it's going to be tough because we don't know the – like I said, we don't know the, uh, the status of Maxime Cheneau and Kalish Magno. Cheneau, from what I understand, um, was, was not likely to go uh, a full game anyway. Uh, but then uh, Cushing said he, he wanted to give it as much as he could. Um, so uh, so – sounds like that injury is probably going to take him out for the rest of the season. But I think it's a situation where when you look at what NYCFC did against uh, Inter-Miami and what they did against uh, Montreal, and look, Inter-Miami, not the strongest compo- uh, opponent, but NYCFC got the job done. Montreal was the second, you know, second uh, seed team in the East. They were the team that pushed uh, Philadelphia to the brink as far as the, uh, the, uh, the league, um, you know, the, leading the league in the East. And uh, NYCFC took care of both of those teams handedly. Yeah. Philadelphia played Cincinnati and beat them one nothing. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. Well, then again, they had the long layoff because they were the Eastern Conference uh, regular season uh, champions. So obviously, they're going to get uh, that week off, or at least the two weeks off, just like what happened with New England Revolution last year. Obviously. So you know, maybe they were a little off, but still though. When you've got one of the best goalkeepers, not just in MLS play, but in CONCACAF and Andre Blake, I mean, my God, what he has done for the union has been amazing. Yeah, that, that, well, that's what it's going to be, right? Sean Johnson made some amazing saves yesterday for NYCFC. And uh, Blake and Johnson were neck and neck and tied in for uh, clean sheets going into the uh, – going into decision day, uh, or I guess going into the game before decision day. Uh, Sean Johnson didn't get the clean sheet. Andre Blake did, and he wins goaltender of the year. But it's, it's a beautiful matchup. It's what you want to see. You want to see the best teams on the field uh, playing in these, in these games. I think uh, when you look at the rest of the field, uh, I think uh, it, it matches up very well for NYCFC, and it will be very interesting to see because uh, it's very similar to when NYCFC play Red Bull. You know, Philadelphia doesn't like to have the ball a lot, and NYCFC does, and it's just a matter of how smart – NYCFC can be and how solid their defense can be. And uh, if Cushing can keep the confidence and stay five at the back, I think it's going to match up pretty well for uh, for the boys in blue. Are you outside? Is there crickets in the backyard somewhere in Yonkers? Or what's going on here? Uh, yeah, there are crickets outside. It's, it's that, those last uh, you know uh, glimpses of summer trying to hold on. It's, of course uh, it is. 
Of so. course it is. You're feeding the crickets, aren't you? You're giving them their uh, their their daily bug uh, meal, aren't you? <laughs> so. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, look, this is going to be a great game. I know both sides are going to be chomping at the bit to face each other, and I know. I mean, look, I, I mean, you know, you can understand how the Philly fans are going to feel. You know, they want to get some form of a bit of a revenge from last year. But we'll see what New York City uh, will do. And, uh, you know, look, this is going to be a fantastic Eastern Conference final. I think the people are going to get their money's worth in this on uh, this upcoming weekend. And uh, I believe it's going to be a fun thing. Um, you know, obviously we're not worrying right now about contracts and stuff just to get this last thing to say. But... Uh, I mean, to me, I mean, are you going to be a little worried about the following year? What's going to happen? I mean, as you said, there's tons of uh, free agents available now with uh, on this roster, and you're hoping they're going to keep at least the majority, if possible. Well, you know what? I think, I hate to say it, but I think winning the championship again this year is going to have a lot to say. Because I think that's going to, that's going to probably give guys another another reason to stay. I think if they, if they lose on... Um, on Sunday, uh, or if they, if they lose in LA or in Austin, I think uh, guys will say, "Okay, I, I did my best, and we had a lot of we had a lot of fun." But you win again, and you really you have a, a chance to really build a, a dynasty. Uh, and I think we all agree, you know, three championships is what you what you need to be a dynasty, whether they be in, in two years or five years uh, or ten. You got to get that third championship to prove that you you can do it again and again. And I think that's uh, that's what NYCFC is fighting for, mm-hmm. and that'll have a big in- impact on whether or not they decide that they're going uh, to to splash some more cash and keep these players. Right? You know, Alexander Collins, Sean Johnson, and uh, Anton Chernerholm have been key pieces. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Michael, thank you again, and have a good evening. Thanks, Dan, so much. I appreciate it. Always. Uh, And that is Michael Ander from Blue City Radio and the recorded interview as New York City FC, once again, they head up to Montreal, Quebec, Canada over at Stade Saputo and defeat Club de Foot Montreal by a final of three goals to one. So the Eastern Conference final, it will be between for the second time in a row, second consecutive Eastern Conference final in a row, Philadelphia Union hosting New York City FC. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we shall wait and see what will happen on that one as we will be watching. We will be watching what's going to happen. And we will be having some fun when we get to it uh, once again live on our national televised sports networks as once again the Philadelphia Union will be taking on New York City FC and that will be at 8 o'clock Eastern Time on Fox Sports 1 so that my friends should be uh, a lot of fun and it should be exciting exciting to see round two between these two sides uh, once again, uh, Nick Cushing doing an admirable job uh, for Ronnie Dahlia, who went back to Europe to be a manager. And, of course, Jim Curtin, who has done an excellent job with the Philadelphia Union. I would say this, though. If, uh, I think Jim Curtin 
uh, depending on whether he has aspirations to become a national team head coach, I wouldn't be surprised if he does get picked to become the head coach of the U.S. men's national team. But uh, if he does desire that position, we'll have to wait and see what he will say about it. So not sure what will happen uh, with Jim Curtin on a national team level, but I would say that I think he would be a very strong candidate to be the national team head coach if he does have the desire to do so. So we'll have to wait and see what situation like that will happen, and we'll have to wait and see how uh, that will turn out. But once again, uh, Jim Curtin versus Nick Cushing, Subaru Park, over in Chester, Pennsylvania, as the union will host New York City FC on Fox Sports 1, 8 o'clock Eastern time. And now we get ready for those Western Conference battles, the Western Conference semis reviewing. Uh, We're heading over to the City of Angels, Los Angeles Football Club, LAFC, as they take on uh, the LA Galaxy. And it was the LAFC as they uh, defeat the Galaxy by a final of three goals to two. And my goodness, did they do an awesome job. My goodness, what a match that was. And joining me to talk about that big final the one and only from Switch to the Pitch, Araceli Villanueva and Araceli. El Trafico did not disappoint. As always, the battle of the two LA teams was a slobber knocker. And once again, it is a team in black and gold that comes out victorious. Yes, you said it right there. That game did not disappoint whatsoever, and I have to admit, I think it was the most nerve-wracking game, or at least I was just completely filled with nerves, the most I've been all season. But thankfully, at the end of the day, LESC was able to pull off the win. Have you visited your manicurist? Excuse me? Have you visited your manicurist? (laughs) I have not, but I probably should. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you're biting your nails all match long, I mean, I don't blame you, but for my goodness, I mean, if you're on your seat the entire game, I thought you'd be like sweating it out and just biting your nails all over the place. I would just say that this, I did start out on the couch, but by the last 20 minutes, I was on the floor, and thankfully I was, because almost right at that final whistle, I... I'm sure I'm not the only one that was just so relieved. And, just, oh, my goodness. It, it's hard to put into words, the feeling itself. But as I mentioned, you know, I'm very excited to see that LESC did manage to advance to the conference finals. Oh, absolutely. And that is a, an amazing feat once again. LAFC really looking strong out there. Uh, opening goal, of course, uh, Buanga. M- converts a fantastic goal from Vela and Segura in the 23rd minute. But, uh, you know, to see that equalizer before halftime by Grand Sierra, that must have really put a damper on everybody's spirits. Oh, for sure. I think going into this match there definitely was not only a lot of nerves, but a lot of 
talk in the sense of the history that both these teams have had in the last couple of years. But to see the type of roster that LEFC put out with Bawanga, getting that opening goal, and then Grand Sears um, equalizing it only puts the pressure, more pressure on the team going into the second half, in my opinion, which led Bawanga to then score the break. And then, of course, Tito Arango getting that winning goal right there in stoppage time. Oh, it really was. And, you know, got to say, Kellen Acosta, uh, what an amazing player he has been, an MLS veteran, of course, playing all over Dallas, Colorado, coming to LAFC in the middle of the season. That cross along the near side was something spectacular to watch. Oh, yes, it's been very spectacular to watch Acosta, not only in those moments, but throughout the season. He has been a great part of the team, and, you know, bringing his experience and sharing it with the guys have been great to see. And, and it shows in the results, even though the last few games during the regular season have been a little questionable in terms of LEFC's performance, I think overall, including players like Acosta, even Hollingshead, has been very beneficial. Yep, absolutely. And I got to tell you, it's just amazing also the season, as you said, Chicho Arango. Where where has he come from, and how do you have such a wonderful season? I know he's been mostly coming off the bench to really be that big, big spark plug in the second half. Uh, He has found the back of the net so many times. It's just where where, where did he find him? (laughs) I think you and I have the same question in those terms, but regardless of how they found him, I'm glad that they did. And at the beginning of the season, Chicho has just been on this goal-scoring rampage. He's been um, scoring left and right. You know, the fans will love to joke that he's no longer Chicho Arango. He's now Chicho Goal Arango. (laughs) But going into just um, this match alone, this, this previous match with the Galaxy, I know he was on a four-game uh, goal drought, if you like to call it that. So there was a little kind of a question mark, you know, if he was able to produce for this game. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, to see him get that game with the, the late winner, it, it just proved to everyone that he's there, he's ready, and he's even running right now for the – MVP, I believe it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would have said Vela for MVP, but if Rongo gets it, I mean, he deserves it. He's just been uh, fantastic to watch. What does this say about Steve Terundolo, of course, a U.S. soccer Hall of Famer, uh, who went from the Las Vegas Lights in USL Championship to take over for Bob Bradley, who went to Toronto FC and, you know, in his rookie year as a manager in in Major League Soccer, uh, did you ever thought you would have a season like this? Did you think there would be maybe a hiccup during the season? To me, it looks like he's found a way to keep LAFC on the straight and narrow this entire 2022 season. I think I uh, varied a little bit on his abilities, to be honest, because in the beginning of the season, as you said yourself, he's 
coming straight to us, only having limited experience, coming from the Las Vegas flights. It's not like he was coming from Europe or any other MLS club. So I think with his signing, there was a lot of skepticism, even some on my part, I have to admit. But given how this season has played out, it really spoke to his managerial um, abilities, especially, I want to say about halfway through the season it was, when there was kind of this big roster shift in the terms of the signing of Kellini, Bale, uh, Teo, Bawanga. So in order for him to kind of make those adjustments very quickly in a short amount of time and to see where the team has landed now compared to the beginning of the season, it's been an incredible run, and I do see him having a long future with the club. Um, obviously Bale has come over in the transfer window when his time with Real Madrid was over, obviously. And I mean, I, I'm not, I don't think it's a failure at the moment. Like I said, it's just, you know, it, it takes some of these European players, you know, more than half a season to, you know, write themselves to get get used to the uh, style of play that MLS has. But what, what's your opinions about um, Bale right now? Uh, coming over to LAFC, and do you think he's done enough? I do not think he's done enough because he has not really been on the roster as of late. When he was first signed, he did make a few appearances here and there, more or less off the bench. But as of the last couple of games, we haven't really seen him. He hasn't been on the field. He hasn't even been in anywhere on the roster in the starting 18. And I know uh, there's been some, um, how do I say this? Like the injury report, he would be listed as questionable because of, a, I think it was a left leg injury or something to that fact. So, unfortunately, I can't really talk to his level of play. I mean, we already know what type of player he is. But in terms of being part of the MLS now, it's hard to judge when you haven't really seen him. Uh, performance much lately. So you would say maybe he might miss the World Cup? I I think he will be part of the World Cup because that is his end goal. But for him to miss the World Cup, that would be huge. So I would yes, leave it as it really maybe would. for the time being. Mm-hmm. No, I can understand that. We don't want to speculate anything about that. But then again, um, what could be a, a gain for the U.S. men's national team um, if Bale is not out there? But we'll see what happens, obviously. We don't want to speculate injuries or anything like that, but we'll see what happens. Uh, finally, of course, for me, um, LAFC first in the West, Austin FC second in the West. This is the West. Eastern Conference Final this coming Sunday, and is this the dream Western Final you were hoping for? I think it's a dream Western Final in the sense that given the rest of the season, um, LESC has faced Austin twice, and both times they've lost, once at the bank and one at Q2. So I think LESC will see this game not only as a chance to to the MLS Cup itself, for their first time, but also to kind of seek revenge in a way now that they are a more powerful roster going into it with the additions of Bowanga and Cellini and so on. 
Um, and I know we have some time left, and I, I want to get this from you. And, and I'm definitely going to have you on when I, when I do this show. But I just want a little um, snippet from you, if you don't mind, with the uh, results from that in Sally Yates investigation with the NWSL players. And, and I want to, you know, get it from you. I mean, just, just your quick thoughts about uh, the, the, uh, the findings of the uh, investigation, of course, from what happened with the NWSL players. And, of course, we know Angel City Brigade, is, they just started their uh, season this year. So, but, but what's your thoughts real quick on that? When it comes to the Sally report and all of the findings, I it, it was extremely heartbreaking, unfortunately. And I know there were moments where I couldn't even really finish the article itself because the deeper you got into it and the more that was discovered, it's just sickening in a sense of knowing that all of this has been happening for years, not here alone, but for years. But um, – as heartbreaking as the report was, I am glad to see that changes are being made. And with the development of the, of the NWSL moving forward, it, it, only, uh, it makes for a brighter future for players. Absolutely, and that's the hope that we want to see. We want to see the uh, players uh, be better. And uh, thankfully and hopefully this – this disgusting thing will never, ever happen again. So that's the one thing I hope for from this. But definitely, RSL, I want to get you on another show uh, to talk about this and, uh, you know, get a good good group together to discuss this even further. But listen, good luck with LAFC on Sunday afternoon against Austin FC. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens uh, in that Western Conference final. Thank you, as always, for contributing to the show. And thank you for having me on. I look forward to speaking with you more in the future. Absolutely. Have a good night. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Araceli Villanueva from Switch the Pitch, talking about LAFC's victory over the LA Galaxy in El Trafico. Well, he returns once is not available. And uh, he's not ready to go on just yet, but that's okay. Uh, as we will await, of course, uh, Eric Goodman from the Austin Chronicle as we uh, get ready to uh, talk about Austin FC and their victory over FC Dallas by a final of two goals to one as they go in their second season, kind of like what Atlanta United has done in their second season, to get to a conference final and who knows if they will be the ones to go to an MLS Cup championship and host it because as of right now with LAFC and Austin FC being the top two sides in the Supporter Shield race and of course NYCFC finishing third in the East, that means that New York City FC cannot host the MLS Cup Championship at Yankee Stadium uh, at the same time, obviously. Uh, NYCFC, you know, couldn't, well, the Yankees got eliminated from the... Is not available. So let's see what happens. So uh, it's a situation where... You have to uh, hope and 
see what will happen moving forward. But uh, once again, uh, we'll see what will happen uh, with the final. As both these sides are... uh, And uh, we will find a way to see how uh, this MLS Cup Championship final will be in November. But it should be uh, a fun one to see and a fun one to discuss as we go ahead and talk about this championship final once again. And hopefully we have uh, my guest Four, here. Two, if not, five. No. He is still trying to call Eric Goodman from the Austin Chronicle. As we uh, talk about Austin FC and their victory over FC Dallas. But uh, uh, before we even get to that, let me, I should have mentioned this. I didn't get a chance to mention this, unfortunately. But of course, um, as most of you know, uh, New York Red Bulls and Red Bull Global soccer operations owner Dieter Matschitz, uh owner of the Red Bull Energy Drink Corporation over in Austria, uh, in uh, Salzburg, Austria, has passed away at the age of 78. And uh, he had a long-term uh, illness. Don't know what it was um, that he had to... Uh, And uh, we'll just uh, have to say that, of course, he did a lot of good things to, uh, you know, get this club out of the Meadowlands and into their own stadium in Harrison, New Jersey, one of the best soccer venues in the U.S., honestly, and uh, just... Just got to say that uh, just got to say that it's a very sad time, of course, for the league, and um, at the same time, uh, it's just a really tough Nine, one to swallow. Four. And uh, we just have to wait and see what's going to happen there. But unfortunately, um, it's just really, really tough. Uh, a tough thing to see uh, when a uh, an owner and an investor of MLS is no longer around. And, of course, he's involved with other things, too. Obviously, said Red Bull Salzburg in Austria, uh, Red Bull Leipzig in Germany, Red Bull Bracatino in Brazil. And also, we cannot forget... Um, he was also involved in Formula One racing in Europe, and a lot of uh, other sports. So we'll see what happens there. Zero, four, forward. two, five. And uh, other sports as well, so we shall find out um, what will happen now with the club during the off season. Uh We will not know what will happen with the club during the off season? 
uh, if the uh, Red Bull Global people will continue to uh, concentrate on Major League Soccer, or will they uh, try to sell the club? I do not. I have no information as of yet. Right now, it's just being. I'm just um, giving out thoughts. I don't know what the plans are. There are no rumors at this time, but at the moment, of course. Uh, Dieter Maschitz is uh, no longer with us, uh, passed dead at the age of 78. Uh, really, really tough uh, pill to swallow. So we'll see what happens uh, moving forward here as we get ready for uh, uh, a future with the New York Red Bulls and see uh, what's going to happen moving forward. And uh, let's go ahead quickly. Uh, we'll talk about, of course, um, Austin FC. Two big goals, three minutes apart in the 26th minute and the 29th minute. Giddy, who converted first, and then, of course, uh, Druisi in the uh, 29th minute, who scored second to make it 2-0. Everything was going well for Austin FC until you get to the 65th minute as Velasco pulled one back to make it 2-1. But FC Dallas, as dangerous as they tried to be, and making the as many big subs as they could, impactful subs as they could, unfortunately could not find a way to uh, get a second goal to at least force extra time, and they just could not find a way to get um, get that opportunity to uh, go out and uh, three zero nine uh, to go out and to uh, uh, find a way to uh, get things done, unfortunately. So uh, it looks like that um, – looks like we're not going to have uh, Eric Goodman on tonight. I guess something has come up uh, that he is unable to uh, talk to us tonight. And uh, uh, we will hopefully have him on. Um, again, hopefully we'll see what happens with Austin and LAFC as the final, the Western Conference final will be at the Bank of California Stadium uh, in downtown Los Angeles. So we'll see what happens moving forward. But, you know, once again, Austin FC having a great second season and hopefully they will be dangerous moving forward. But we'll see what happens uh, over there. Uh, and we'll see what the situation uh, will be uh, down the road. So uh, it should be a lot of fun. So let's give you quickly now the schedule for this upcoming Sunday, October the 30th, as we have conference finals getting ready for you for MLS. At 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, LAFC hosts Austin FC, and that will be on ABC. And on that same day, on October the 30th, 
it will be the Philadelphia Union hosting New York City FC in the Eastern Conference Final on Fox Sports 1, and that will be at 8 o'clock Eastern time. I want to thank my guests tonight. I want to thank Greg Oldfield of SB Nation's Brotherly Game. I want to thank Michael Ander of New York City, uh, you know, covering NYCFC at Blue City Radio, and Araceli Villanueva from Switch the Pitch covering L, uh, LAFC. Wish we would have had Eric Goodman on. Unfortunately, uh, it looks like something has come up, and he is not available tonight. Uh, my name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. Thank you very much for listening to this program. Have a good evening, everyone. Talk to you next week. Thank you so long. Bye-bye for now. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now. Have a good night, everybody.